When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden and you're listening to Queer Stories. This week, C.S. Packett is the author of the New York Times and USA Today bestseller Dark Rise, the Captive Prince trilogy, and the GLAAD-nominated graphic novel series Fence. Born in Australia, C.S. has lived in a number of cities and currently resides and writes in Melbourne. They performed this story at Melbourne Writers' Festival. Hello. I was talking to someone in my family about this event and they said, um, oh, you should tell the story about the tram conductor. And um, while, while I was thinking this over, they said, you know, you get your storytelling from the family, you, you should tell them that. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll tell them that. Um, my family tells stories. They don't write things down. It's an oral tradition with them. The best storyteller in my family was my grandfather. He, he comes from that lost world of old Italian village. No television, no internet, um, barely a radio. You can't read or write, but you do sit around at night telling stories. And I think I subliminally learned from him that the person who is the best storyteller in any room is the one with the most power. Um, we'd sit around and put in requests to him, like, nonno, that's, that's the word for grandfather in Italian, racconta la storia della croquette, like, tell the story of the croquettes, um, tell the one about climbing the fig tree. And we wanted to hear the same stories over and over again. And sometimes my mother would even say, oh, we should tape your grandfather's stories. It would be such a shame to have these stories disappear. Um, but the stories did disappear. He died about 10 years ago. Uh, so here's the fragments that I remember. This is all that's really left of my grandfather. The one about the croquettes was something about how my grandmother and grandfather were having a fight while my mother was making the potato croquettes. So that's mashed potato that's shaped into a ring and then fried in uh, hot oil. And as they were fighting, she threw the pan at him. And the potatoes arced up into the air and they hit the ceilings where they were suspended, sort of stuck like the Olympic rings. Um, and the ceiling was too high to get them down easily. Um, and so then when the fight entered its Cold War phase where they weren't talking to each other and they just sat silently at the dinner table, but every now and again one of the croquettes would fall down <laughs> from the ceiling onto the table. Um, and the one about the fig tree I remember less well, but it was something about how, while my grandmother and grandfather were having a fight, uh, my grandfather climbed the fig tree in the front garden then somehow lost both the ladder and the rope that he used once he broke his belt to hold up his pants. So his pants fell down and he was screaming for my grandmother, Eva, that was her name, Eva, Eva, but she didn't answer because they were having a fight. And um, so he went off on a tirade like, Vaffanculo, vaya diavolo. And, um, and then when she finally emerged, it was only to see the nuns from St. Bridget's averting their eyes and making the sign of the cross uh, in front of the pantsless man in the tree in his underwear swearing. So the story that my family used to tell about me was the story about the tram conductor. I was in year seven, so what's that, like 11 or 12 years old, um, and I needed an alarm clock for a school project. Actually, 
that part of the story is a lie. I told everyone I needed the alarm clock for a school project, but I actually needed it for a prank. I'd convinced a group of friends that we should all bring alarm clocks to school and hide them around the school hall, then set them to go off during school assembly, um, but at five minute intervals. So that the idea was as soon as one alarm clock would be found and shut off, another one would start ringing. Um, I was an only child. Um, my father, he died when I was about five, and my mother raised me as a single parent. My school was about an hour and a half tram ride from my house, um, so I used to get up before my mother in the mornings. And the morning of the prank, I snuck into her bedroom, took her alarm clock while she was still asleep, slipped it into my school backpack, and headed off for the prank. I was about halfway down the hallway when I heard her say, you give that back, you little redacted. <laughs> and I said, I need it for a school project. Uh, and we wrestled for control of the backpack. And I managed to grab it and run out of the house. And she followed me out, still in her nightdress. In my 12-year-old mind, I was thinking like two moves ahead, like in chess. I've got a head start. She's in her nightdress. If I can just get to the tram and get on the tram, she's not going to follow me. I'm home free. Uh, so she, she wore like one of those long white night dresses with small pastel flowers on it, made out of some kind of night dressy fabric like flannel, unmistakably a night dress. And this was like 1989, so not like today where everyone works from home and we're all basically wearing our pajamas all day anyway. Um, like women didn't really go outside in their night dress in 1989. Um, I saw the tram coming, I ran as fast as I could, and I made it on there just as the doors closed, sat down in the nearest seat, feeling pretty proud of myself, I'm clear. Then the light turned red, the tram did not pull away from the stop, it just sat there as the seconds ticked by, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and then in her nightdress, my mother got onto the tram after me. So I remember she grabbed me by the hair and dragged me down the center aisle of the tram. You redacted, you give me back that alarm clock. And I was telling stories. I need it for a school project. Actually, I think I probably started with, I don't have the alarm clock, <laughs> and then moved on to, but I need it for a school project. Uh, she hit my head against one of the seats. I've clinging to the backpack. I didn't have a, really a plan. There's not really an obvious way out of the situation. And that was when the tram conductor stepped forward. You remember tram conductors, or some of you might not, but they used to wear a uniform with a cap and they had those leather satchels that they slung over, their, over one arm. And inside the leather satchel, they'd have money and they'd have change and paper tickets that they'd click with a clicker to denote that they'd taken your fare. Um, and in a very dignified voice, the conductor said, ma'am, no violence on the trams, please. Uh, as if he was indicating to a sign, as if they had somewhere on the tram a little picture of a woman in a nightdress going <laughs> with a cross through it. And my mother answered, this is my daughter, I can do whatever I like. You know that sort of comment, like, you don't tell me what I can do with my daughter. The conductor, perhaps realising that he too had a fiefdom, he said to her, well, do you have a ticket? <laughs> Silence. Then she turned her head to me and she said, you redacted, you give me money for a ticket. In an act that probably epitomizes my personality in that era, I just shook my head. No way. Ma'am, I'm afraid 
if you do not have a ticket, you cannot ride my tram. <laughs> now, the tram had been moving the whole time. At this point, we were probably more than 20 or 30 blocks away from my house. My mother was barefoot and in her nightdress, and she didn't have her purse, which meant she probably did not have her house key either. Uh, and she was put off the tram. That's where my family ends the story. <laughs> and that's where I usually end the story as well. Um, I don't talk about what it felt like to sit down, do my hair, <laughs> and sit in front of the other passengers on the tram the rest of the way to school. Um, and I don't talk about what happened to me that night when I got home. Um, people loved my grandfather, and they used to say things like, your grandfather, he was a real character, as if he'd stepped out of one of his own stories. Um, and as I got older, I came to see the way that his stories completely obscured, even to his own family, the violence of the man. Um, you could tell those stories a different way. You know, the story about the fig tree could just be a story about a man screaming obscenities at his wife, and the story about the croquette could be a story about a family where it was pretty normal to throw a pan of boiling hot oil at another person. And I think the story about the conductor, if I really think about what it's about, it's about how by the time I was 11, I was already too scared to ask my mother if I could borrow the alarm clock. My grandfather had this facility to kind of rewrite reality by storifying it. And the story became more real than the event. When he died, it was like a spell was broken in my family, and I was really, really happy to let those stories fade. But I can see why, for example, my mother really needed them. Um, because when something's happening inside the house, you often end up performing kind of a production of reality when you're on the outside. Bad things are minimized or hidden or made to seem engaging or funny. It's a way to cope. And I grew up to be a fantasy novelist. Um, and so that's why when, uh, when I got told, for, um, I think your, your ability to tell stories comes from your family. You should tell them that at the event. I thought, yeah, all right, I will. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out Queer Stories on Patreon, where you can support the project for as little as $1 per month. Follow Queer Stories on Facebook for news and event updates. And follow me, Maeve Marsden, on Twitter and Instagram. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.